Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Packers Unscripted Social Distancing Style from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford. He is my trusted colleague, Wes Hodkowitz, coming to you from our humble abodes as we've done. And Wes, we've uh, switched up the schedule a little bit. Now that the draft is done, the schedule is out for 2020. Uh, we're cutting back here to maybe one episode a week for the time being. So are you okay with that, my friend? Yeah, I'm totally okay with it, Mike, because this is typically what we ended up doing once we get into the OTA schedule anyway. You know, there's only so many days availability. Now there's no availability, so here we are. I did get a kick out of your intro, your intro though, and you're right. This is social distancing style. I feel like when we get back in the studio, it's going to end up feeling like we should be like, hey, this is our studio style. I mean, like it's almost yeah, like this right. is going to end up becoming commonplace for us. But right. be that as it may, we persevere, we press on, and we got some cool – draft picks to discuss here on today's show yeah well hopefully we don't have to put up like a plexiglass thing between the two of us when we get back in the studio that would be that'd be a little awkward (laughs) but uh, anyway yes you said it we're going to talk about uh, some of the Packers draft picks because since the draft you and I have been getting in touch with uh, past connections to the Packers draft picks a lot of college coaches other folks like that and posting some stories on the website so uh for fans who want to uh, to check those out, by all means do. And I think the fun thing with this for us, Wes, when we get into these conversations with college coaches and others, you get the little anecdotes, the little stories that maybe haven't been told necessarily. You get a little bit of a peek into these guys. And I'll start with one because um, Kamal Martin, the fifth-round linebacker the Packers drafted out of Minnesota, He's one of these guys, you know, unfortunate ending to his college career because he played a stretch uh, of his senior year trying to battle through a knee injury, gutting it out, doing what he could. Eventually, it got aggravated to the point where he had to be shut down and he had to have surgery on it. Now, not a full reconstructive surgery or anything, but he had to have a procedure done. So he's, and this is the story I got from Minnesota's defensive coordinator and linebackers coach, Joe Rossi. So the Gophers are down in Tampa, Florida to play the Outback Bowl. And, but Martin, who had just had his surgery, he has to recover at home. He can't travel with the team. So he's sitting on his couch back at home, watching the game, cheering on his, his Gophers and everything. Well, Minnesota pulls out this really exciting win, a big uplifting win for their program. If you remember, they were on the verge of potentially getting to the Big Ten championship game before Wisconsin knocked them off at the end of the year, and then Wisconsin ended up advancing to that conference title game. But nonetheless, a January 1st bowl game, the Outback Bowl, big, big victory. So Joe Rossi, the defensive coordinator, as everybody is running to the middle of the field and celebrating, and the Gophers are celebrating this big victory, he FaceTimes Martin, (laughs) gets him on his couch, and basically makes him like part of the celebration <laughs> in Tampa, passing the phone around to like all the rest of the guys. I just, I thought it was a great story, but, and it's an illustration of what senior leaders mean to yeah. a team, to their teammates, to a program. I thought that was the type of story that really illustrated what Kamal Martin meant to the rise of the Minnesota Gophers program under PJ Fleck. Yeah, and it's it's cool and it's a neat story. I hope people got a chance to check it out on Packers.com if you haven't, go back and look at it. Because the thing that I've been introduced to with Kamal Martin is just the character of this guy and also just the way that people seem to really gravitate towards him. I mean, he did a little video for our Packers social team just kind of introducing himself to fans, and he sort of has this infectious enthusiasm about him. <laughs> he has an interesting yeah. way that he's able to communicate and very expression 
uh, filled in, in terms of his, uh, you know, interpersonal skills. So that's really neat. But the thing that is cool about his story is, and you, you were actually the first one, I think, that asked him about this on the conference call when we first talked to him on draft night. You know, being a kid from Minnesota, he wanted to play for the Gophers, right? Yeah. But as yeah. so often happens with a lot of these kids from the Midwest, you know, there's only so many Division One schools. Wisconsin only has one. Minnesota, you know, certainly it's, it's kind of the Gophers are bust out there. And he was pretty content to go to Eastern Michigan. He was going to play quarterback. He eventually finds up and he finally impresses them. He gets that opportunity. And Mike, how many times have we heard this story where a guy, a late offer, a potential walk-on, they come into a camp, they earn their keep. And then by their senior year, they're a featured player. They're the guy that's on FaceTime being passed around the team huddle. Yeah. That's Kamal Martin. I think you got a good feel talking to his defensive coordinator and his position coach of what exactly he meant to that team and why so many people feel like he'll be successful at the next level because of the way that he approaches this game. Yeah, his desire to play for the Minnesota Gophers was high. He's from Burnsville, Minnesota, which is a suburb of the Twin Cities. He was an all-state player, uh, a two-way player, offense and defense. As you said, he was a quarterback. And Joe Rossi told me this wasn't just a, a high school athlete who was you know, plugged in at quarterback because he was the best athlete on the team. He was a legitimate quarterback. And not just Eastern Michigan, but other MAC schools, Mid-American Conference schools, were offering him as a quarterback and uh, but he went to a final summer football camp in Minneapolis, uh, a Gophers football camp. And by the end of that, they had worked him out on defense and uh, and they made him an offer. And so he he threw the whole quarterback future into the uh, into the trash can, so to speak, and said, hey, I'm going to play linebacker for the University of Minnesota. And he couldn't be happier with how it worked out. Unfortunately for him, wasn't able to play in that final bowl game for the Gophers. But Moving on to the sixth round here, three offensive linemen the Packers drafted in the sixth round, and you got a chance to talk with not only John Runyon Jr. from the University of Michigan, the Packers pick there, but also his father, John Runyon Sr., who's got uh, quite the pedigree as both a former National League football player and a member of the United States House of Representatives. Now he's involved with the NFL at the league level yeah. uh, when it comes to uh, reviewing film and disciplinary issues and things like that. So um, tell us your favorite anecdote that you got out of that, uh, that wonderful piece you put together on Packers.com on the Runyons. Be sure to check that one out, folks. Yeah. And, and certainly you had to edit it and go through all of it. There were so many stories and it, it could have been even longer than it was uh, <laughs> with with not only him, but also Gabe Infante, who was his high school football coach, who's now actually at Temple. He ended up getting an assistant job at Temple for uh, all of his efforts and state championships and what he did at St. Joseph's. But the story that I think I liked the most uh, was it had to have been the Ohio State story. So <laughs> I, knew you, I knew you were going to go to it's that It's great. One. I wish you yeah. would have had the photo. He doesn't have the photo yeah. anymore. But anyway, if you didn't read the story, uh, basically St. Joseph's Prep, uh, this was a, it's a private school in North Philadelphia. The school where Runyon Jr. was going to basically funnel into uh, in their township didn't offer football. He, at that point, knew he wanted to play football. His mom ended up finding – his mom, Loretta, found St. Joseph's Prep, actually asked Gabe Infante to come out and watch her son play to see if, you know, potentially he could play for him. And, by the way, he could. Uh, and every year uh, they go out and they do different types of service events at different area colleges – or, you know, even traveling a little bit. So they went to Ohio State. The football camp gets done, and all the kids who were volunteering their time, they're offered to take a photo with Urban Meyer, the then Buckeyes coach, newly minted at that point. 
And if you know anything about the Runyon family, they are staunch Michiganders. I mean, they are maize and blue all the way. Right. So John Jr. does take his opportunity. He goes and he takes the photo with Urban Meyer, shakes his hand, and is completely covered in Michigan gear. It is a phenomenal portrait. Gabe Infante was the one that told me that anecdote at first. He was laughing about it as he mentioned it. Just a true testament, not only to the Runyons and how much you know, that, that means to them, but also John Jr. And you know, so many times you, you hear these stories, Mike, and, and rightfully so. Kids look up to their fathers. I looked up, obviously, to mine. I know you do to yours. And it, it's understandable why John Jr. would have been motivated to play football, but John Sr. never made it about that. If, he, if his kid yeah. wanted to go and, and become a businessman or just get out of sports altogether, he would have been fine with that. But the fact of the matter was is John Jr. was around football as a young man as a child it got ingrained in him he ended up becoming a pretty darn good offensive lineman and while so many people may think that that last name but what that carries a 15-year pro a pro bowler a guy that was very notorious in his time for his physicality John Jr. he has some of those traits but he's not his father and he came to terms with that very early on and I think that explains why he's made it as far as he did and why he believes now at the next level he can thrive because he's not trying to live up to his dad's legacy. He's trying to create one of his own. Yeah. And that's certain, that's a, that's a challenge for anybody in that spot. Um, and not just the fact that his father played in the NFL, but was, was an established pro was, was very well known across the league. Um, had a, had a reputation for being, you know, one of the ultimate tough guys in the NFL and playing in one of the tough towns, as they say, you know, in Philadelphia with the fans and, and how they feel about their team. So not an, not an easy shadow to, uh, uh, to walk behind as far as John Jr. is concerned, but he's been doing it his whole life. Right. So why, why bet against him now? He's, he certainly comes across as a, uh, as a very confident, self-assured young man. Yeah, and his dad was incredibly hands-off. I mean, when he handed him over to the St. Joe's uh, coaching staff in Infante, he let them coach. If they asked him a question, he would answer it, but he wasn't going to step on any toes. And John Jr. feels like that is ultimately what allowed him to not only stay with the game and, and have the love for it that he does, but also have the passion for it because he found it on, its, on his own. I mean, he saw things and he was around it, but it was ultimately his own passion that allowed him to persevere. I mean, the Michigan thing, Mike, he committed there the end of his sophomore season. He had two more years of high school. He was like a one-year starter at that point. Right. And But he knew he wanted to play at Michigan. He had deep ties family-wise on his dad's side to Ann Arbor and Flint. This was a big thing for the young man. So now coming to the NFL, he is a six-round pick, but I think if you talk to a lot of people around him, the feeling was is he probably would have ended up being an interior offensive lineman, but opportunities on Michigan's offensive line allowed him to start at right tackle. His first ever start was at right tackle in a bowl game. And the following year he became the starting left tackle and he stayed there the last two seasons. So he's up for it. He's flexible. He's extremely athletic. I mean, that's one thing that stands out. He doesn't have his dad's overall size, but I mean, he ran basically a five flat 40 time. There's some real athleticism there. And when you look at the zone blocking scheme, this is a young man that the Packers feel pretty confident is going to be able to fit the prototype of Matt LaFleur's offense. Yeah, I really wish we could have gotten to see that photo of him in the uh, uh, Maison Blue. He says it's Urban out Meyer. there. 
Yeah, uh, yeah, there's there's no way back in the day that Woody Hayes would have even agreed to have that photo taken. I just uh, that that's my uh, my gut feeling when you go back to the uh, the rivalry <laughs> days of uh, Woody Hayes and Bo Schembechler at those two but universities. He was and he wasn't even committed at that time to Michigan yet. It's just that's how much <laughs> they loved the Wolverines. That's how much he loved that school uh, that he was willing to already basically write off any chance he had of going to Ohio State at that juncture of his football career. Yeah. Well, two other offensive linemen, the Packers drafted in the sixth round, Simon Stepanak from Indiana, Jake Hansen from Oregon. I got a chance to talk to coaches from those schools as well. And um, with Stepanak, it was interesting. And I'll, I'll apologize right now. I believe on one of our early shows after the draft, I pronounced Simon's last name incorrectly. So hopefully I have it right now. You're preaching to the choir anyway, here, buddy, but yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I did talk with, uh, with offensive line coach Darren Hiller from Indiana, and I asked him just because the, the thing that stands out about Stepanak, now this is another young man, unfortunately, who did not get to finish his college career in a bowl game. He ends up injuring his knee during bowl prep after Indiana had finished its regular season. Hiller told me that Stepanak was playing some of the best ball of his career, the big old Oaken bucket rivalry with Purdue, which ends Indiana's regular season with some of the best film that he had out there. But then he suffers a, a pretty significant knee injury during bowl prep. So he can't go to the bowl game. And then of course, everything with regard to the pre-draft process, maybe the senior bowl, the combine, all that is thrown up in the air. And Stepanak tells Hillary, he says, well, I'm going to go to the combine and I'm at least going to do the bench press. So I'm going to figure out a way to do the bench press. Well, Stepanak has to have surgery on the knee in the first week of January. So the combine is about six or seven weeks after that. Now the bench press, of course, it's, it's an upper body exercise, you know, chest and triceps and shoulders and all that. But as Hiller described to me, you still have to have kind of your feet planted on the ground yeah, to, uh, you know, to, to be able to, uh, to have the stability to give everything you've got on the bench press. Well, Stepanak, less than two months removed from reconstructive surgery on his knee, he does 37 reps of 225 pounds on the bench press at the combine, which ends up being one of the top totals of any lineman, offensive or defensive lineman in Indianapolis. And Hiller told me, he said, you know, if he had been healthy, if it hadn't been for having the surgery in early January, and if he had actually been able to prep as much as he wanted to for the bench press, because this kid, you know, been a workout warrior his whole life, he thinks he would have been somewhere in the 40s as far as his reps at 225 on the bench press. That kind of blew me away, Wes. I mean, I, I was never somebody who did a whole lot of weightlifting in my career as a baseball player and a golfer in, uh, in my college days. But man, oh man, 40-some reps on the bench? Are you kidding me? I mean, so anyway, it was, yeah. it was interesting to, uh, to hear the story from the offensive line coach. Take away everything else, right? Take away this is NFL and guys trying to get drafted. Just a human being putting up 225 pounds 37 <laughs> times. Uh, that, that, oh wait, that never ceases to amaze me. I mean, honestly, I think the most on the entire roster right now is what, is it Corey Lindsley with 36? I think Corey had, yeah, Corey had the Tyler most Lancaster of anybody at 35. Was, yeah. But mm -hmm. uh, that, that would put him right up there. And that wasn't even him at his best. Right. Let, let's, right. this is the thing I loved about it. And I love the, the quote that Hiller gave you about it, basically saying that he needs to, you know, you don't think about your legs, you don't think about your knees, but you have to be basically bolted to the ground in order to do that exercise. The thing I love about that draft pick, Mike, um, this is a long-term one. 
Brian Gutekunst said it from the beginning. I mean, the Packers are under no disillusion right now that, that Simon Stepanak, whenever they get here, is just going to be good to go and he'll be running and everything will be fine. Yeah. He's, the young man's going to need some time to get back. But these are the type of guys that you want to look at in the potential six rounds, especially when you have that many draft picks as the Packers did in those later rounds, because there's going to be time. The Packers have a really deep, uh, you know, fertile crop of, you know, offensive linemen behind their starting five right now. So they're not asking this guy to come in and win a starting job right away. They're asking him to heal. They're asking him to rehab. Yeah, well, one other one to get to today, and that's Jake Hansen, the center from Oregon. And it was I had a really good conversation with Oregon's head coach, Mario Cristobal. And uh, fortunately, it worked out to be able to catch up with him on the phone. He was the offensive coordinator uh, originally for Oregon. He went there from Alabama when he'd been working for Nick Saban. And then he became the head coach at Oregon. So he had a really good perspective on Hanson's career. And the story I really liked that he told is that he said he, he still remembers getting on the plane when he was going to fly from Alabama to Oregon, he was going to start his new job as offensive coordinator for the ducks. He's got his iPad and he's looking at the film of the 2016 season. This is heading into 2017 when he gets the job at Oregon, he's looking at film of the offense for the 2016 season to see what he's got, right? Who are the players that he's got coming back? Well, lo and behold, he's got a freshman quarterback named Justin Herbert who ends up being drafted sixth overall in this most recent draft. So all his film obviously stood out, but he also noticed two guys on the offensive line. He had a redshirt freshman at guard in Shane Lemieux, and he had a redshirt freshman at center in Jake Hansen. And both of those guys jumped off the film as well. And he, he was talking about how he was really excited seeing that on the film, knowing like, all right, I've got a quarterback and two offensive linemen that I can use to install my new offense because it was going to be this whole new playbook and everything like that. And he could tell from watching that film. And he mentioned with Hanson specifically, the way Hanson as a redshirt freshman is making calls, directing traffic, doing all those kinds of things that a center does for his uh, freshman quarterback, taking the snaps. He knew he was going to have no problem installing that offense and getting things going because of those guys. Hanson was a big piece of that. And by the time Hanson's career at Oregon ended, he, st he had started 49 games wow. at center for the Ducks. And then the Packers uh, draft him in the sixth round. And Shane Lemieux, the guard that played next to him for those four years, was drafted just one round earlier. I believe it was by the New York Giants. Yeah, what a cool story Hanson is. And, and certainly, he's a guy that I don't think is just going to flash, right? He's, just, he's a, a down-and-true blue collar center uh, that has a lot of experience, much like Stepanak did coming out of Indiana. So you understand why sometimes these guys last until the fifth and sixth round, but that yeah. doesn't mean that they can't play. And it doesn't mean that they can't come in and win a job in the NFL. It's just, sometimes guys just don't have that type of like off factor, especially on the interior offensive line. And the thing I took away from your story with Cristobal too, is that you kind of touched on it, but this is a guy that even at a young age was capable of communicating yeah. an offense and capable of setting up an offensive line for success. That's so important because we don't know whether or not Jake Hansen's going to end up being a center in the national football league. He could be a left guard, could be a right guard, but he has that experience. And you saw it last year, Mike Elton Jenkins was a center his last two right. years at Mississippi state, but he comes in here and he has that background. He has that knowledge and he ends up becoming a really good starter for the Packers and all rookie left guard right off the bat. So uh, with Hanson, all three of those guys, whether it's Hanson, Runyon, or obviously Stepanek, 
those all three of them offer the type of things that you're looking for in a six round pick, a developmental prospect. And it's going to be interesting to see exactly what he can Hanson can turn this into now this opportunity in green Bay. Yeah. And certainly no, uh, no slacker in the strength department either. He put up 33 reps on the bench press at the combine, I believe. So, uh, so the, the phrase country strong definitely applies. And uh, yeah, Cristobal talked about Hanson just, he's a grinder. He's a guy that he, he thinks he can play, you know, 10 years in the NFL, wherever a team wants to use him, center guard, whatever the case might be. So uh, be interesting to see these, uh, these prospects develop as their careers just get started here in 2020. Yeah, and it's always fun with offensive linemen in particular because it's sort of like unboxing a present. You know that you're getting an offensive lineman, but you don't know where they're going to fit. We didn't really know that David Bakhtiari was going to be a left tackle. We certainly didn't know if Brian Belago was going to be a right tackle. That was a conversation for four years. Right. But, you, you know, you see where these guys end up finding a home in the league, and that's going to be the key. And as John Runyon Sr. told John Runyon Jr., now that he's drafting the NFL – you have to basically make the team twice. You need to make the team right off the bat, and then you need to keep your spot in order to get an opportunity to potentially grab a starting job You know, as a day three pick. He had been through that, and now that's what all three of these young men are going to be doing as they try to find a spot here in Green Bay. Yeah, we'll be sure to check out all of those draft pick features that are posted on Packers.com. We've got some more coming in uh, the ensuing days, and next week, uh, here on Unscripted, we'll continue sharing some of those uh, fun anecdotes from our conversations with the players, uh, the, the connections to the players from their past. So for now, we will sign off on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. For Wes, I am Mike. Take care. We'll see you next time. <laughs>